If you have ever made the drive to Las Vegas from Southern California, you will know that you have to traverse through the I-15, okay? Interstate 15. Now, when you go through the Interstate 15, okay, I know you guys are asking the question, what is a pastor doing in Las Vegas, okay? I just have to be honest with you, okay? There is nowhere else on the face of the earth where you will find hotels as nice as Vegas for as cheap as they are, right? Nor buffets that are as good as they are for as cheap as they are, okay? I'm just saying, okay? I, I, I have no, nothing in my conscience that is like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have to hide something from you guys, okay? You know, we just, I've done family vacations there before, okay? And no shame, okay? Got nothing to hide, okay? I'm just trying to say that, okay? If you're on your way to Vegas, right, you will know as you go through Interstate 15, you cross through like hours upon hours of dust bowl. Absolutely nothing. It's just complete desert. That's one of the anomalies of Las Vegas, that they were able to construct a habitable city in the middle of an absolute desert. It's fascinating when you think about it from like an architectural or geographical perspective, right? But I don't know. I always have these existential thoughts when I'm on my drive to Vegas, right? You know, most people are like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited to go eat at, like, Caesar's Buffet or, like, you know, all these things, right? But when we start driving to Vegas, I always think about, I wonder if I got dropped off right here, how long I would be able to survive for. I don't know about you guys, right? I, like, okay, by no means, I am not an outdoorsy person, okay? I, I don't, like, camp. Like, I glamp, you know? And that's if someone does it for me, okay? I'm not outdoorsy at all, so I don't want you to think like, oh man, he must think that because he's like Bear grills. I'm not like that, okay? I have like no survival instincts, no survival tactics. So I just naturally think of that. I go, man, for me, if there was like no help in sight, that would be like the worst slow death ever, right? Like, and I think, how, how long could I go without water, right? Without food and all these things, right? Because the idea of a desert is that you have nothing to look forward to. That's why it's the desert. It's the sort of place where you think in your mind, no one willingly goes to the desert. Unless you're Korean and you have to go check out Death Valley, right? It's like every Korean's favorite tourist spot on their way to Vegas, okay? That's irrelevant though, okay? No one willingly steps into the desert. Except if you're Jesus. Now, Jesus does a lot of strange things. If you read the Bible for what it is, sometimes as a narrative, right, and you just take a moment not to read it like it's some kind of spiritual hocus pocus, although it is the spirit of God at work. Amen. Okay. But sometimes we read the Bible like it's like, oh, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like we make it overly spiritual that we actually miss what it's saying. Jesus does a lot of funny things. Sometimes someone goes, I'm blind or I'm deaf and I need hearing. I need recovery. I need a healing moment right now. And Jesus goes, I got the solution. So he gets some mud. He spits on it, rubs it, puts it in their ears. And he goes, you could hear now. That's the strangest healing tactic I've ever heard of in my life. Sometimes you read the Bible and you go, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? When we look at today's passage, we're going to encounter Jesus willingly going straight into the face of the desert. That's odd. Because when we read about the desert in scriptural terms, the desert is not just a place that you don't want to go physically. 
The desert also represents what we call the wilderness in Scripture. Now, in Scripture, the wilderness is always a place and it is a season and it is a time where God takes his people and he begins to chisel off their edges so that he's refining them for whatever's coming in the season ahead. But no one wants to go into the desert. You and I all know this. Sometimes, maybe some of us in this room right now are going through what we call the wilderness season or the desert season where it feels as if there's nothing that we can do that can increase the felt presence of God to take us out of these situations and it feels like we're going to be here forever. There's no end in sight. That's the point of the desert. That's the point of wilderness. It feels like you have nothing to look forward to until the person who placed you there gives you something to look towards. And yet, Jesus himself today in the passage is revealed to walk straight into the place that none of us want to go to. I trust that in a congregation this size, not everyone is experiencing roses and lilies and flower fields in their lives at all times. I bet many of us are dealing with things like doubt, anxiety, worry about jobs, family, direction, the intention and the purpose of my life. And you feel like God has placed you in the desert. Well, today I want us to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 4 to try to understand why God leads his people into the desert. So if you again, if you have your words in your Bibles with you, I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 4. Or if you're there, let me hear you say, I'm there. Awesome. And we're going to get started as we read from verses 1 and on. Okay. This is the word of the Lord. It says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Stop there real quick. This is one of those moments where we got to do real scripture reading. And by real, I mean just look at it for what it is. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come into worship and I go, Holy Spirit, come on, fill me. Mm, yeah, give me some direction today. The baseline thinking that I have is that the Spirit of God is not going to lead me into a dry and barren place. True? Right? Whenever I pray, the Holy Spirit, fill me up, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 Holy Spirit, come on, boom, let's go. And it's like, bam, open skies, blue, no mise manji, right? clarity of thought yeah we're gonna go all out right i'm gonna go to my workplace i'm gonna talk about jesus and everyone's gonna start falling on their faces like it's nineveh right like jonah preached right repent right best revival sermon in the bible right jonah said repent and there are a few other words with it right it's like six or seven words and then the whole nation repented right you feel like when the spirit of god feels fills you he's gonna lead you into blue skies awesomeness and everything's gonna start panning out and yet in verse one it says jesus was led up by the spirit not only into the wilderness but well, look at the other prepositional phrase that comes after that. To be tempted by the devil. Now, we got to do a little bit of theology, okay? Theology, okay? That seems strange. But like I said, the Bible is filled with strange accounts. You have often heard it said, God will never tempt you himself. But if you do like transitive property, right, for all you math nerds in the house, okay, 
I don't know, remember many things, but I remember if A equals B, and if B equals C, then A equals C. All right, I still got it, okay. <laughs> so you're thinking, okay, Pastor Billy, if the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness, but if in the wilderness is where the devil is waiting to tempt him, then God is tempting Jesus. Now, first of all, we got to define that word tempt. In fact, we got to even define that word, the devil. The devil, in the original language, literally means the accuser. The one who is going to accuse. Now, his method of accusing is by this thing called tempting. And that word for tempt, it literally means to test. So if you read different renderings of Matthew chapter 4, it will tell you that Matthew chapter 4 is about the test of the Son of God. The testing of the Son of God. What God is doing in this passage is not, he's not making Jesus stumble. He's not trying to make Jesus fall. So you can't go out of here saying, man, God made that happen to me. God made that bad thing happen. No, God is good. God does not make bad things happen to people. Bad things happen as a result of sin, just being a part of the daily fabric of our beings and our lives. When you have people who are not only in sin, but who are sinful, that makes the grounds of society, of relationships, and all these things unable to turn from sinful ways. God's not forcing that. In fact, because God is respecting our free will, he allows these things to still continue. Well, I'll tell you what's fascinating about God is that because God is good, he's the only sovereign being who can take evil and still make it good. He can take the evil that he's not responsible for and say, I'll take that on myself and make it good. That's the amazing thing about who our God is. And so here, when it says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, it means that there's going to be a model or an example that God is using his son to show the rest of his church for today. Can't skip verse 2, though. I love verse 2. Right? And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> you don't have to include that statement. But again, I believe that God doesn't waste a word. He doesn't waste a phrase. He doesn't waste a sentence. Why would God reveal that to us, okay? Jesus goes into the wilderness before he begins his ministry. Remember, remember the timing of this, okay? Right before Matthew chapter 4. Oh, any, okay, we'll do a little bit of interacting right now. Anybody know what happened right before the temptation in Matthew chapter 3? Oh, you can't cheat. Don't cheat. Okay. And that's right. Come on, out loud, sister. The baptism of Jesus. That is an awesome scene. How many of y'all have been baptized before? Like, like, you know, there's like Presbyterian baptism. You know, I, I was serving at a Presbyterian church. So, you know, I, I always felt a little like, like, ah, I wish we could use a little bit more water, you know. <laughs> I know in California we're going through drought, you know, so we got to respect the environment, right? Right? And so, like, you know, I get it. You know, Presbyterians have their own heritage and so forth, right? But, but I, like, I like, like, raging waters, you know. I like kind of water park style baptism, you know what I'm saying? Right? So, like, you know, Jesus gets baptized by his cousin John. And it's like the craziest baptism you've ever seen in your life. If you were there in the first century, Jesus was getting baptized by his cousin, right? Remember his crazy cousin John, right? Coming out of the wilderness, you know, like, okay, that's not what John the Baptist looked like. Sorry, that's, that is not biblical. That is just, 
that's when I first started reading the Bible, you know, it was like he wore like, you know, camel, you know, hair and he was eating locusts and honey. I was like, dude, homeboy's crazy, right? Like, God, why do you choose a crazy guy to be your, your prophet into the new covenant? Okay. Anyhow, that's aside from the point. John was a normal man, sort of not normal though. Okay. That's, that's an oxymoron. Aside from the point, Jesus is getting baptized by his cousin, John, right? Jesus gets dunked in the water. He comes back out. And God from the heavens with his awesome audible voice says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Y'all listen to him. Sorry, that's my translation. Okay. (laughs) You would think that after such a glorious moment, God would then go, all right, Jesus, it's Jesus time. It's time to go. You're going to go crazy. All those sick people, you're going to heal them and you're going to be the king, the new king of Israel because it's going to be all good. But that ain't how the story continues, and that surely isn't how the story ends. Right after the baptism, after the sonship of Jesus is made known to all the public, God goes, son, you're going into into the wilderness. You're going to go in fasting for 40 days and 40 nights because even you need clarity. That's weird to think about, okay? I need to touch on this for a second because I'm not about to preach heresy. One of the amazing things about our Lord Jesus is that he in his nature, in his being, in himself, so to speak, is that he occupies two very interesting foundational being roles, so to speak. We say that he is completely human in nature while at the same time totally God. Smart people call this the hypostatic union. So if any of you guys want to sound smart in a small group or with your friends, you can use that word. What did your pastor preach on this Sunday? The hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. Did you know? Do you know? (laughs) Right? Now, this is an amazing thing. This doctrine, it is like, how do you prove that? How do you prove that Jesus is totally human but totally God? Well, you take him at his word. But there's nothing about like if you saw Jesus and you were like touching him. Hi, Jesus, right? Is that beard real, right? Where's the glow, right? Where's the divinity like popping out? You might not be able to discern it at face value, but by nature, that is who he is. One of the things that God is trying to show us in Matthew chapter four, is he's showing us how to live in the face of temptation, not from the perspective of Jesus's divinity, but as we're about to see, from the perspective of what we all share together here with Christ. Our humanity. And so, we now enter into the three-part battle that takes place between Jesus, who represents the kingdom of God, and the devil, who represents the kingdom of hell, and everything against him. Look at verse 3. It says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, that is Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is like, you know, sometimes you see people doing like rap battles. Okay, I feel a little bit exposed right now. I feel more laughed at than laughing with, okay? 
okay, I don't, I don't like watch rap battles, but I've seen rap battles before, right? It's like pretty crazy. Like, doots, doots, doots. Okay, that's totally not a rap beat, okay? <laughs> it's more like a beat that you hear when you go shopping at like Abercrombie or something, right? <laughs> right. Um, but you know, the beat drops, right? And it's like, I'm watching, I'm like, you know, I start doing the head nod, like, yeah, 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 right? And these dudes show up and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that is so dope, right? And sometimes when you actually listen to the raps and you wait, right? They'll like drop this like really subtle, but like in your face, but kind of like, like, what do you call that? Um, like, it's very like insightful line. I can't think of the right word, right? And everyone goes, oh, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? They drop some of those lines and you go, dang, that's crazy. And then the other dude gets on the mic and he's just like, especially freestyles are very like wowing, okay? Like you just watch these people go back and forth, how they're able to think so quickly to deliver such quick responses in these very like acutely smart ways. That's kind of what I think about when I see Jesus and, and the tempter. I'll tell you why. Because the battle that they're operating on It's not obvious, but it is deep. It is actually addressing the deepest parts of our humanity. Things that maybe on the surface you look at and you go, you know, the enemy goes, hey, you just fasted for 40s and 40 nights. You're kind of hungry, right? Yeah. (laughs) Then Jesus, because you have all the power in the world, turn these stones into bread. You might just be thinking, yeah, Jesus, just do it. If you could heal the deaf guy, make the blind person see, I mean, why is it so wrong for you to take some stones into bread? I mean, you're like Jesus. You deserve it. <laughs> right? I mean, if Jesus showed up and he goes, I'm hungry. We go, oh, Jesus, here's some food. He goes, no, no, no food. Wouldn't you feel like really like, oh, but come on, Jesus, cut, your, cut yourself some slack, man. Like you just saved all of us. You deserve a little bit better by virtue of who you are. But what we have to understand and see in the text as we look at it is this. The way that the enemy is trying to subvert Jesus' authority in a bad way is that he's trying to make him use his power, his divine strength, one, apart from his humanity, but two, also, in a way that doesn't match up with the intent behind as to why he has that power in the first place. I'm going to say that again. Jesus has the divine strength and power and the miraculous ability to look at those stones and say, you're my bread now. But the reason why he chooses not to go in that direction is because he's saying, that's not what it's for. That's not what it's for. And so in response, Jesus Again, you're a good Bible scholar. Anybody know where Jesus' response comes from? What's the coolest book in the Bible? Deuteronomy. Such a SoCal Bible joke. I'm so sorry, okay? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
He looks in the face of the enemy and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why in the world did Jesus choose that verse to respond to the enemy in the face of this test, this temptation? Because when you really think about it, when Satan comes to Jesus and he says, don't you deserve that bread, Jesus? Use your power for that. And Jesus says, no, uh, uh. I don't live according to filling myself here. But by every word that comes from my father, what is he saying? I trust my daddy. The first level of temptation or testing that Satan comes in to attack Jesus is his personal relationship with God. Now, most people, when they preach this passage, they just get to the point of saying it's all about the word of God. So you got to equip yourself with the word of God. Absolutely. That is so true. But I want to go a little bit deeper. Why do we need the word of God in our lives? The whole intent purpose behind that is because when we are able to cite God's word in the face of these tests, it's reflective of the trust that we have of our daddy. That's the point. It's not so that you look smart. I know plenty of people who can recite so many scriptures. So many of these things. But you have to be able to get the intent of that down. It's about coming to a place of trust and expressing it in the face of a situation where you might feel entitled to get what you feel like you deserve. I mean, on a moral level, is it so bad if Jesus turned those stones into bread? Not so much unless... Jesus is absolutely out to prove that in the wilderness, even when things do not go the way that you wish, but you go based on the voice and the call of your daddy in heaven, you can show up and things don't look like it's God-given. But that doesn't mean God's not going to give. But it means that you don't go out of your way to use the strength that God has given to you in your autonomy, in your free will, to now go try to do something for yourself. Some of you guys, you know, I've been in Korea for six months now. I do not feel like a veteran by any means, okay? I'm still figuring out how to, like, pay for stuff well, you know, like EFT, right? Like, in the States, we got Venmo, right? But, like, here, it's like everyone just, like, sends... People are sending money, I think they're texting and they're done in like two seconds, right? Like, it's the most amazing technology in the world, okay? I'm still figuring out how to live. Okay? But one of the things that I've, I've realized in coming to Korea is that Korea is a place where a lot of people have their dreams on hold. A lot of folks come to Korea teaching opportunities and different things. And it's a place where you are allowing God to refine, to define, and to speak in to maybe dreams that you had even coming in. But you got a strong sense that God was saying, hold on to that. Put the pause button on just for a second. I got something for you in Korea for a season. And maybe you've been laboring out here, teaching, working in business, or doing different things for a number of years. And as the years progress and progress and progress, you almost forget the reason as to even why you came here in the first place. You often ask yourself, God, what am I doing? I'm wondering. I am wondering 
as I'm wandering. What you got in store for me, Daddy? Church, there are many situations as you might navigate yourself through these different times and places, job, school, calling, and so forth, where you got a moment where somebody comes and says, hey, come on. You could turn this situation into a couple loaves of bread for yourself. I mean, you've been fasting your dreams and your hopes for all these months and all these years. Don't you think it's about time to start taking care of yourself? What I'm suggesting right now is not that you say no to every opportunity that comes your way. Because it might be, in fact, God saying, it's time to take this opportunity. But when you discern in your heart whether you're doing that out of trust in the Lord or whether you're doing that out of anxiety. You know, anxiety makes us do some crazy things. An anxious person is actually one of the most dangerous people that you can meet, right? It's like when people go on tilt, right? Start selling stuff, right? Well, I'm going to invest in this startup. And I'm, sometimes, some people are like, yo, I'm going to invest in this startup. And I go, I don't know if you're the startup type yet, right? You might want to think twice before you sell your house and, you know, all those assets. Like, you want to be a little bit wise about that. I don't know. No, no, no. Like, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. I'm not trying to speak into every specific situation. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not even saying that if you're in an anxious place that God is absolutely saying no to an opportunity that he's bringing in front of you. But what I'm saying is this. If I'm really getting at the heart of the passage, Jesus is saying, whatever you do, wherever you want to go, this is the premium. Trusting that your daddy is going to provide. But it doesn't end there. Look at verses 5 and on. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 this time. Now, Satan starts coming, and he starts firing on a different angle. If before, Satan comes in saying, you really trust your daddy? Jesus goes, I trust my daddy. I know he's got my best in mind, so I'm going to do things his way. Even if it doesn't look good in the desert right now, I know that whatever he has on the other side of the road is going to be pleasing to him. So I'm going to do it out of trust. Satan goes, I eat. I eat. Right? Evil face and evil grin. I see what you're doing, Jesus. So Satan takes him up to a higher place and he goes, man, you trust your daddy? Okay, then. If you really are the son of God, throw yourself down and tell the angels to come get you. Right? That's like, man, if that was me, I'm, I'm going to look at Satan. I'll be like, you don't know me. you <laughs> I'll be like, watch, right? And I do one of those like grace, graceful falls, right? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but watch my angels come, right? I'll be like, angels, do you do your like cool thing, right? I, I'll be like, wait until I, I'm like two inches from the ground. It goes, zoop, right? I'll be like, see? <laughs> Told you. But you know why Jesus doesn't do that? 
Because our Lord's not insecure. He has no need to prove himself. Especially, he has no need to prove himself against the enemy who's trying to thwart him. Why why do I need to prove myself to the person I want to defeat? I'm just going to defeat you. I ain't going to play this by your book. I'm not going to play according to your rules. There are times when we as Christians, I mean, forget being Christian, right? When we as humans feel the temptation to need to prove ourselves. I want to be real with y'all guys, okay? I'm a pastor, right? Oh, I should be very holy, secure, 500% of the time, right? Can I, can I make a confession? I get insecure. <gasps> I go, Lord, am I, am, I, am I okay? Like, are there areas that I need to work on in my professionalism or, or these things? Or, or what, what sort of skills or things can I still continue to acquire so that nobody looks down on me? Oh, but that's real. I'm not saying this just to air laundry. I'm saying this because if Jesus is appealing to us in his humanity, I think I could do the same with you. Sometimes in our insecurity, we feel the need to layer ourselves with things that we feel like would be impressive. We have to ask the question, for what? What are we trying to prove? So, so what if I get someone to look at me and go, hey, Pastor Billy. You know, when I go home, I go home to the same situation as if I received this or not. You know, the most telling part of just being a human is that regardless of how people see you, good or bad in this present moment, I go home and I sleep on the same bed in my same feeble form with or without the applause of men. It's telling, isn't it? I remember reading the story once. Right? I'm, a, uh, I'm a closet basketball fan because I'm not good at basketball, but I enjoy basketball. And I like playing basketball, but I'm not good at it. <sighs> Because I have flat feet. It's just an excuse. <laughs> I remember reading this article about how LeBron, you know, he, he left Cleveland, right? As part of the, the, the crazy LeBron narrative, okay? Like deep down, I'm a LeBron fan, especially more because he's on the Lakers now. Right? <sighs> Except we got him at the end of his career. It's okay. He's, he's good. He's good for the city, right? Uh, I remember reading the story about how when he went to Miami, he left Cleveland, right? He left home to go and form a super team to finally win that championship. I remember reading this article talking about how he woke up the morning after the championship in his bed with the championship trophy, feeling empty. Right? He, he had just proven to the rest of the world, yes, I am the greatest basketball player in the current era. I am this good. And yet, 
regardless of how good you are or how much you proved yourself to be awesome on the basketball floor, you're the same human that still has to go back home just like the rest of us to your family, just like we all do into the same bed as we enter into the same sleep and rest that we all do. You still got to eat the same food that I do to survive. We got to drink the same water. So what do I have to prove to you? My mom would always say this. She'd she'd say like, well, we all get buried the same way, one way or the other, right? Jesus isn't after significance. He's trying to leave a legacy that goes beyond proving himself. Because his goal is not to prove. It's much deeper than that. Continue on in verse 8. The enemy now is pressed on against his back. Goes to his third tactic. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Hold it right there. If you are Jesus, this of all three is probably going to get to him the most. Because it goes directly in line with his mission. Jesus' mission was to come to earth and to save his people. But if you read it with a little bit more Old Testament, Old Covenant, Kingdom theology in mind, the purpose of Jesus' coming was to secure his kingship. Not that he wasn't king before. He was already king But in order to walk into his kingship as it's going to be exercised over all of his people, he had to come and make the cross his destination. But look at what Satan's trying to do. Jesus, I know, right? You're the son of God, but you're also the king of your people. Let's check it out. Let's cut a deal then, okay? I know the first two, maybe it's because it's a little bit too personal. I couldn't get to you. But this one, Oh, we might be able to make a deal on this, okay? I will give you all the kingdoms of the world because it says that Satan is the prince and the power who rules the air and the nations. Satan says, look at all of this. Jesus, just come to me. Just come on a knee, bow in front of me, and I will give you what you have set out to take. But no pain, No betrayal. No cross. That's the offer. I'll give you the result that you're after. But do it my way. Satan's making a power play right now. For 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, you may think that you would lack clarity. Have you guys ever been hangry? You have a focus like none other when you enter the hangry zone. Now, I can't say Jesus was hangry, okay, because he's Jesus, you know. It's the holiest hanger, right, which is not hanger. It's just hunger (laughs) that mankind has ever seen. Sharpness and with clarity. He looks to the enemy and he goes back into Deuteronomy 6 and says, verse 10, 
Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan, you're trying to get me to take the easy way. Satan, you're trying to use your evil power. You have amassed power by deluding my people, by covering their consciences and continuing them in their sin. You think I'm going to bend a knee to you to take the easy way out? Even if my father has presented the cross at the end of the road for me, I would rather do it his way. Friends, If anyone ever sold to you that Christianity is easy, they lie to your face. You know what I tell every new believer that I I, I do altar call and I walk them into Christ and I have an opportunity to talk to them? I tell every single one of them, I say, your life's going to get harder. I go, go, I'm sorry, but I need to tell you that up front. Your life will be harder because you are now telling the world that you have allegiance to someone that... They don't like. You guys notice that? You ever been to a place, right? I mean, it's really awkward for me a lot of times, right? I, I like to be friendly. So, you know, I'll go to Starbucks, right? I go, man, how are you doing, right? Oh, I just strike up conversation sometimes. Right? I'm just, and the people go, wow, you're really happy. I go, I know. <laughs> and then, you know, you get to talking. And then my heart drops a little bit when they ask, so what do you do for a living? They go, sorry, sir, I didn't hear you. You got dirt. <laughs> sorry, sir, what is that? I'm a pastor. You get varying responses, right? Some people go, oh my gosh, like you're the, you're like you're actually normal. I go, yeah, we're trying to be that, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> or sometimes people go, ah, okay, um, yeah, your drink's gonna come out on the other side. <laughs> I go, all right, I'll see you later. Okay. Your life doesn't get easier because you got a lot more to speak on behalf of. Your life doesn't get any easier as a Christian. But I always tell them this right after that. But you will find a security and a love that you can't find anywhere else in this world. Your life will be harder, but your life will be so much freer because of who you're with. You know, that's why I love that Jesus, his name that's revealed in Matthew chapter 1, is that God says, Mary, you're going to have a son. Joseph, you're going to have a son. And his name will be Emmanuel. God with us. See, we think in life, Success is defined by what we have in terms of monetary standards and and homes and real estate and all these things. And yet, I'm always so humbled every time I do any kind of outreach that involves ministering to the homeless because I always walk out feeling ministered to. Not everyone, right? So some homeless people have, you know, they have done a lot of substance and, you know, we love them, but they can't keep a straight thought, right? But there are some you just talk to and they're still there having gone through a lot of unfortunate circumstances, and many of them have. Not, like some people will think like homeless people are homeless because they just didn't try hard, and that's one of the most ignorant things that people can believe. Man, if you study poverty, if you study socioeconomics, the world favors, in its current state, 
certain people from certain backgrounds. Okay, I'm not saying that we use that as an excuse, but it is just the way things are. You talk to some of these folks, incredibly educated. I remember talking to some folks saying, you know, but in this process of losing everything I had, I've gained Jesus. And they don't look jealous. Because they say, he's everything I need. Why? Why do I need to be anxious for more? Humbles me every time. What Jesus is trying to show us in this place, called the wilderness, called the desert, is that it could feel like hell. As you're walking through the refining process that the heat of the desert and the wilderness provides, you find that you're able to once again reach out to the only one who matters. I don't like the desert. I don't like the wilderness. It doesn't feel good. Let's be real. It doesn't make you any holier to be going through the wilderness and be like, it's great. You liar. <laughs> and I think it's a bad model for small group, right? If you're the first person to share, go, how are you doing? Man, my life is falling apart, but you know what? It's everything is great. Right? The, the person who's going to share after you is like, dude, my life's falling apart too. Now I got to lie to everybody that I'm doing okay when it's terrible, right? Friends, when we appeal to our humanity, when you talk to Jesus, and when he's on the cross, if you go, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? Jesus isn't going to go, man, I'm really excited to save all of you guys. And it's like, I'm so good right now. He wouldn't say that. Jesus would look at us square in the face and say, your sin's taking me to hell. It's not great. It's not good. In terms of its feeling. But because I am choosing to worship the Lord, my God, and serve only Him, that's what makes this good. It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging to walk according to the trust that we ought to have in the Lord. It's easier said than done. Like, this is one of those lessons, friends. Like, I'm 31. I'm not that old, right? <laughs> I'm 31. I still got a lot more lessons to learn. And there are many folks who have gone ahead and have experienced far many more wilderness situations than I ever have. And I have to confess, I still haven't gotten used to the wilderness yet. I don't know if anyone gets used to the wilderness because every time I enter into the wilderness, God gives me another situation where I look back and I go, Ooh, daddy, can I trust you again here? Like, I know you took me through that like a couple years ago and I felt like hell then too. Really, God? Like, do I have to do this again? Seriously, sometimes, if I'm honest, I look at God and I go, Lord, just, um, I want to like, I want to coast, right? I'm not going to be too bad, but I want to be too good because like, you know, like I just want to keep a steady line and like, so I don't have to walk into any more wildernesses. But because God in his love for us doesn't want us to just stay stagnant. By the way, there's no such thing as stagnancy in life. You're going in a direction. You ever try to draw a straight line forever? 
It's impossible. <laughs> right? You can't try to draw your life even that straight. God is the one who by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit takes us into a wilderness so that he would refine us so that what comes out at the other end, it's not more riches, it's not a better destiny, so to speak, in and of itself, but it's more trust. Because God is that secure. Did you know your daddy is really secure? It takes a lot of security to let your child go through a wilderness. I'm getting to know this a little bit more as a father. Sometimes when my son just won't listen to me and I need him to trust me at my word, Jed, no, no, no. Uh, he's so good at saying no now, right? And he's grown so much over this, these past few weeks, right? I show up in the States, right? And I go, Jed, come on, let's go. And he goes, no, 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 no. And I go, what? <laughs> you forgot who I am, right? show you who is dead again right now no but sometimes right like like sometimes when my son is about to like he keeps not listening i just go okay i let him enter into a five-minute wilderness oh, oh no no oh okay you no 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 you're way over there until you need me again right it's the funniest thing he goes and he tries to do his own thing, right? If I'm telling him, like, don't grab the milk yet, right? I mean, milk, I don't want to, like, clean up again, so I, I just do it good, right? But there are things that he wants me to do, but I'm like, I can't do that for you. Or if he's trying to run out into the street. Yeah, I mean, not that I would let him go out into the street. Uh, that could be a really bad wilderness, right? i got to be a responsible parent, right? But with smaller things, sometimes I just go, okay, you try it then. Sticker books. He has a hard time peeling stickers, but he won't let me peel it for him sometimes. All right, then you go for it. Ah! Ah! And he like, he starts kind of, you know, like, I don't know what the English word for it, but he, he starts nunchibying me, right? And I'm like, you need my help? So I go and help him. But what was established in that moment? He's learning to trust his daddy again. As you are walking through your wilderness, your desert, and you experience the frailty of your being, and you feel weak, unable to get yourself out of that place, congratulations. You're in God's will. He wants you to recognize your humanity. He wants you to recognize your weakness. He wants you to recognize every single thing that you cannot do so that you would start looking to the one who can do, who does do. But more than do, the one who's committed to loving you. That's what it is. That's what the wilderness, that's what the desert's for. If I could shorten this message to just this idea. God takes us into the wilderness so we remember that he's our daddy once again. To trust him. I don't know what you're going through. But I want to give you a word of encouragement. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is one of the first Bible passages I ever memorized as a kid. No temptation has seized you besides what's common to man. Believe it or not, your experience is not unique only to you. 
It is in the sense that it is you as a unique person are going through it. But the type of thing that you are going through, it's nothing new under the sun. God says, he will always provide a way for you to walk out of it. Now, I do need to qualify that. That doesn't mean all of a sudden you go, all right, God, you're going to provide a way. So I'm going to pull up my bootstraps, put my pants on and gird my belt and I'm going to go out and do it. It's not what it's saying. I think what Paul is saying in that passage is this, is that God will provide a way, but more often than not, that way will need and require you to exercise humility. You may have to come out in front of your community. You might have to walk out in front of some of your trusted sisters or your trusted brothers and say, hey guys, I face this situation right now that I have no idea what to do. Can you come and be my support? And I'm not talking about just, hey, can you pray for me? Everybody says, can you pray for me? Non-Christians say, can you pray for me? Can you ask your God for me, right? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the sort of humility that submits yourself to the loving people around you. That takes a lot of courage. I respect people, right? Sometimes people are so scared to confess their sins because they think the church is going to come out and be like, you suck. Really, that's right. You could use different language, right? You are unholy, blah, blah, blah. No, but what we're saying is this. You suck and you're unacceptable. When you appeal to your humanity, you know what Jesus is saying? We all share in our own issues. Mine might not look exactly like yours, but it's rooted in the same thing. I don't trust God. So sometimes, in my walk to trust Him, I need you. What should I do? Oh, it's hard to ask for feedback, isn't it? Because you could get tore up in that process. You've got to be gentle, right? If you're on the giving end and someone says, can you, can you help me walk through this? Don't be like, yeah, because you're stupid. <laughs> Can't believe that you would be saying that. No. You say, Lord, help me to have your heart. Let me walk them through with compassion. And lastly, I want to say this. Temptation, and when these things come, you need not feel ashamed or feeling shaken along the way. Because that's what a test does, does it not? Right? You might have been that super nerd in high school and college, right? Where no test ever intimidated you. (laughs) Pass with flying colors, but that ain't how life works. Life is always providing a new context and a new setting, and a new place where I have to exercise timeless principles, but in new places. That's difficult. People have come to me and said, Pastor Billy, I thought I got over that thing. Why do I feel like it's coming back again now? Am I backsliding? I say, perhaps. But perhaps I can offer a different viewpoint. Perhaps it's not that you're just backsliding, but because this issue and this temptation is now testing you in a different setting, it's a different thing altogether. How can I walk with you? How can I walk with you? How can I walk with you? If Jesus is telling us anything in this passage, it is that God chooses to walk with us through the wilderness. And I want to close just by reading for you. From Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Jesus draws his response to the enemy 
from. As we look at even Israel's wandering in the desert, what did God say to them? I invite you to actually just close your eyes with me as we close, as you hear the words of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. He has walked with you. He has been with you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and He let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart Keep this in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And hear this. And you shall bless the Lord your God, for the good land He has given you. Father, as we close today, I pray, God, that when we are walking, as we're walking through this wilderness right now, God, that You would help us to remember that the goal of the wilderness is not to just come out onto a sunny side, onto flat ground, where things just appear to be good. But Lord, that you're trying to bring us onto higher ground so that we can thank and love our daddy and father in heaven once again. You are taking us through the wilderness so that we would remember deep down in our hearts what is truly treasurable. Yes, these benefits that we can receive in our hands, they're great. But the greatest blessing and the greatest good that you're giving to us through the wilderness is the treasure called you, Jesus. Come and be with us. Come and remind us of that. Come and shepherd us along the way so that as our feet land on brooks where water flows abundantly, where sands and the pits of the deserts will be replaced now by mountains of streams of living water. Come and do that for us, Lord. But for some of us who are still venturing through the wilderness, where it feels like there's no end, God, I pray that you would give your people the spirit and the strength of him. Not to just endure, but to thrive. That though there might be nothing to eat, that there might be nothing to grab from, to add to their validity, their security, that can come from the ways of man, Lord, I pray that you would teach them in that place to grab hold of the security that comes from just having Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.